You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 41. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robinson. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Yes, you are. Each week, each week, we deliver on the Roundtable Podcast writers and guest hosts who come together with a story idea, and they pitch it, and we just dig in, and it's awesome. It is. It's fabulous. We take it, we bring it into our laboratory. We, we, we dissect it. We lay it out upon the table, bubbling off the bits of, of, of dark goo uh, that will not <laughs> serve our purpose, ever working to distill it down to those threads of what we like to call literary gold, just to continue the dark muck from the brain metaphor right. from 20 minutes with which is awesome. loving the goo loving the goo <laughs> loving the goo that's right uh and once again ryan it is always a delight to be wingmanning with you or having you wingman with me however that works thank you man i really appreciate it hey anytime which one's the wingman in a fighter jet the guy in the front or the guy in the back or no the wingman's in a totally different jet isn't i think he? that's how it works yeah i need to i need to watch uh, uh top gun again yeah just i was just to, thinking that i just, need to play some shirtless volleyball too and just kind of get back <laughs> into that top gun mode before i go too far with the absolutely wingman. absolutely and and that and god that that scene really is iconic you know for all of these years the decades that have transpired since since top gun rolled out into theaters that that shirtless volleyball scene with the flexing abs and <laughs> pecs and it's like holy crap and that's and, why you know it, it you got four fighter pilots arguably the toughest guys in the united states playing volleyball shirtless and they go and do that high five they do and you just say to yourself like what what was that <laughs> it is it is it is dubious uh, uh bromance i think I, I don't think yes. the concept of bromance had actually evolved uh in the, in the 80s when that came out and and i think that actually ryan you may have settled upon the the cornerstone the foundation the beginning of the bromance meme maybe yeah hey. dude dude stake your claim put your flag right there i done <laughs> uh well now having established the the foundations of a very important meme in contemporary culture <laughs> yes. uh let's let's roll on and invite back our guest host for this episode of the roundtable podcast shall we mm -hmm. uh ladies and gentlemen uh swimmer with great white sharks literary queen of cape town uh author of moxie land uh zoo city the shining girls documentaries animations cartoons comics uh, a, a veritable cornucopia of splendor and creative mojo please welcome back to the big and comfy chair at the round table lauren bucus lauren thank you so much for coming back and helping us workshop a story it's awesome Mad science, I'm in. <laughs> Mad science, yes, or weird science. I, Laura, and I do another podcast called uh, uh, Protecting Project Pulp. Uh, I host that, and it's all pulp stories from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And awesome. weird, oh god, weird science is one of my favorite pulp fiction memes. There, it's just glorious. And and you're right, this is weird science. I nobody can explain how we do what we do. You you have coined in addition to literary alchemy, it's also weird science. Thank you for that. <laughs> Lauren, uh, uh, 
knowing how much you 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 hate to actually write, I can only yeah. assume that your your life and your world is filled with dazzling events and wonderful distractions to keep you from the keyboard. And I was wondering if you could share with our listeners uh, what awesomeness is coming up for Lauren Bucus. What what wonders can we anticipate in the coming weeks and months? Well, I've got a comic out at the moment, which I'm really excited about. It's set in Bill Willingham's Fables universe, and it's called Fairest. And nice. my issues are 8 to 13, and it's about Rapunzel, who has a very dark secret. And um, everything comes out when a flock of paper origami cranes attack her through her window, smashing the glass. It's very kind of Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> and they have a message for her, which will take her to Japan and deep into kind of the Japanese fables. And we've got Yokai and Yurei and Yakuza. And uh, I've run out of things beginning with Y, but just sheer <laughs> awesomeness beginning with Y. Yay. Oh, Japanese Yay. awesomeness with why who who can't have we can never get enough of that that's awesome that sounds fascinating where, yeah and and I know the 20 minutes is over but holy crap I gotta ask where, where did that come from where do you how do you go from Rapunzel in a tower with long hair to to Japanese Yakuza and and Japanese fairy tales well I think kind of the secrets in the hair that I was asked to pitch specifically on Rapunzel and I thought about what I what kind of story I would do with her and um you know, a lot of Japanese ghost stories are all about the hair, man. Ah, good point. Good point. Okay. All right. So a natural blending of the two then. Well done. Uh, uh, so friends, keep a lookout for that on your favorite comic book shelf. Uh, mm -hmm. What else is coming out? I've got the, my new novel, The Shining Girls, is coming out in May slash June next year, depending on where in the world you are. Okay. Um, in the U.S. it's June, and in the rest of the world it's May. And um, that's about a time-traveling serial killer. Awesome. Very cool. It's, it's very fun. It was it's set in Chicago between 1930 and 1993. Um, and this horrible, just awful, violent man called Hopper collects Shining Girls and kind of these weird anachronistic artifacts that he leaves on the bodies um, start to make sense for one of his victims who survives. Excellent. And then the chase is on. And then the chase is on. She turns the hunt around. One of his victims survives and turns the hunt around. Oh, that's awesome. That's rich, rich story food. And who's putting that out, Lauren? That's coming out from Mulholland in the U.S., um, HarperCollins in the U.K., and Random House in South Africa. Excellent. Excellent. Now, the, yeah. those, those are two <laughs> delicious literary works. And of course, Moxieland and, and Zoo City are still out there for your purchase in ebook and paperbook form. Uh, uh, what uh, conferences or conventions that you're attending? I'm going to FablesCon next year in March, which is, of course, the um, con specifically for Fables comics, but also any imaginary worlds which kind of tie into grand fantastic storytelling tradition whether that's myth or fairy tale so some of the other guests there will be people like mike carey um obviously bill willingham will be there i can't remember who the other guests are offhand but the website is fablescon.com that's um, and that's gonna awesome. be really cool oh and then and then i'll be doing a tour around the shining girls but i don't have the exact dates on that yet Okay. But nothing, nothing until March. I actually get to stay home and do some writing. How wonderful. Damn it. Damn, I was going to say, <laughs> just did, how wonderful. It's like, oh no, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I well. know. It's just terrible being a full-time novelist. I mean, my dream, my childhood dream fulfilled. Yeah. Well, Jeez. <laughs> and who, who, who would want that really, right? Well, suckage for you, Lauren, is awesomeness for us, which is sort of a, <laughs> a dysfunctional 
twisted relationship, but uh, you know, we can live with it if you can. So I have to say the only thing I hate more than writing is not writing. <laughs> oh God. Mm. It just sucks to be you. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, no, not not writing makes me feel ill um, and just filled with self-loathing and disgust. So basically I have to write to keep the self-disgust at bay. Well, okay. See, and again, I have a hard time saying, <laughs> but it's well, good, that's awesome. Fun, I swear. <laughs> well, awesome. I will make sure all of that goodness gets into the liner notes, Lauren, so that everybody can can check that out uh, and, and consume all the awesomeness that is Lauren Bucus in the world, um, which again is kind of a disturbing metaphor and perhaps I should change that. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I punt a charity? Oh, please, by all means. There's, uh, in, I live in South Africa, as you guys know, and one of our biggest problems is education. Uh, 93% of schools in this country don't have a library. 95% wow. don't have a science lab. Uh, 46% do not have toilets. Oh, man. So if you guys feel like making a donation to Equal Education, they take PayPal. Um, they're a wonderful organization that is looking to improve educational standards across South Africa. And that, that's really kind of where the future is. Holy smokes. No kidding. And, and that's... Oh, see, and, and now I want to take off my headphones and, and go build a library. Holy crap. That's, that's, those are appalling statistics. Yeah, that's stunning. Yeah. Uh, friends, uh, that is definitely a charity worth donating to. And as Lauren said, they take PayPal. So what's the, what's the website that they can go to for that? Yeah. Equaleducation.org.za or ZA if you prefer. So it's <laughs> equaleducation.org.za. Excellent, excellent. And we'll make sure that link gets into the liner notes too. Friends, do do uh, uh, dig deep or dig what you can and, and help uh, help offset those those appalling statistics and, and turn it into a, 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 wow, total brain fart right yeah. there. Just death. Yeah, just, but you know what? That, that kind of, those kind of statistics will, you know, short circuit you right there. Yeah. It's, it's incomprehensible. It is, it is. And, and, and that, but, and, but not unmanageable. I mean, we can, with, with a, a unified Good effort, point. Uh, turn that around and and turn what is now appalling into an opportunity, uh, not not only for the kids but also for the rest of the world to demonstrate that we can make a difference. Individuals can help with global or countrywide problems, and this is a great opportunity for that. Excellent. All right. Well, God, now I'm feeling all noble and shit. <laughs> um, damn. Well, let's let's uh, let's let's shuck that let's off. Let's put a stop to that. Yeah. Right now, let's let's take a break. We'll we'll do a pause here for uh, for a podcast or an ebook or or an awesome Kickstarter project. Uh, heck, maybe if if we can find an audio for. Uh, for that charity, we can we can slot that in there. That would be awesome. But uh, regardless, we'll take a pause, friends. When we come back, we'll workshop a story. So don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. 20 years after Nelson Mandela's release from prison, the education received by young people in South Africa remains vastly unequal. Despite attempts to overhaul the system, class and race-linked inequalities remain entrenched. Education was the foundation upon which inequality was fashioned during the years of apartheid, but unequal educational opportunities still remain amongst the greatest obstacles to equality, dignity, and freedom in today's South Africa. Equal Education is a community and member-based organization advocating for quality and equality in the South African education system. EE engages in evidence-based activism for improving the nation's schools and is a leader in youth leadership development. 
Led by young activists, EE seeks to improve the poor quality of education in South Africa by working together with communities, schools, teachers, principals, learners, parents, academics, researchers, and the government. They build an understanding of the education system while drawing attention to problems faced by schools and their communities. Equipped with this knowledge, EE offers a new way for people to participate in the democratic system and bring change to education and society. If you understand the importance of education in transforming and empowering a culture, please consider donating to this visionary organization. Visit their website at www.equaleducation.org.za to learn more about their programs and support their goal for equality, dignity, and freedom. Thank you. Welcome back. And now we move into the best part of the roundtable experience, the story workshop. The, the woolly mammoth of ideas has appeared at the mouth of our little cave, and we're armed with our sharp sticks of wit and our slings loaded with rock-shaped plot twists, and we're going to wrestle this beast to the ground and harvest what we need from it. Who, Dave, is going to be leading this monster to our cavernous doorstep? Oh my God, Ryan, I just, I just need to interject and say that you have set a high bar for Mr. Humphrey when he comes back. Yeah, I'm going to sit him down and have him listen to all of your coming out of break. And, and he is going to be humbled, humbled, I say, uh, by the sheer fabulosity thereof. Just Thanks, glorious. Boss. I just want to say, I'm going to take down this monster with my bare hands and a cup of coffee. Because that's wow. what I got. Because that's how she rolls. She's badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our, our mammoth leader today, Ryan, uh, has been writing poetry, music, and nonsense in some form or another for as long as he can remember. Uh, he studied English lit at UCLA uh, and has joined the camp that enthusiastically affirms the fact that being an English major is probably the worst thing an aspiring writer can do. Uh, but... It was when he read Stephen King's Dark Tower series that he realized how fun writing novels might be. Uh, and really, Stephen King is the gateway drug for many writers, uh, as is NaNoWriMo uh, and Tolkien. So, good. Excellent. Uh, he loves to surf and make baskets and listen to coyote crooning. Uh, he's written one novel, unpublished, and many short stories that are circulating and hopefully will be into publication soon in the world of speculative fiction. You can find him on goodreads.com and at Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the slightly less comfortable but no less roomy writer's chair at the round table, Mr. Joshua Cordasco. Joshua, thank you, man, for stepping up. I know it's never easy to offer your baby for, for a little collaborative goodness, and we greatly appreciate you doing so sir. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So poetry, music, and nonsense for as long as you can remember. So this is like a genetic thing with you? Uh, probably. And I would, I would emphasize the nonsense over everything. <laughs> <laughs> Absurdist literature being your, your forte and wheelhouse. Okay. Awesome. 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 Well, you brought a story, yes? I did. I have a story. That's fabulous. Let's thank God. <laughs> it's going to be a short episode otherwise. All right, Josh, here's the deal. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the story, the genre, the format, whether it's going to be a novel or a series of novels or a graphic novel, whatever. Um, introduce us to the world if there's some uniqueness there. The characters give us some signposts of key story events, and we will take it from there. Sir, the mic is all yours. Woo! Okay. 
Here we go. Um, so uh, I, I have a working title for it. It's called Brujos, which is Spanish for sorcerer or wizard. Um, but I'm not in love with the title. Uh, I would call this probably an urban fantasy or horror or adventure. Um, definitely uh, want to turn it into a novel. Here's my hook. In the wake of an extinction-level catastrophe, Frenny, who's a devil long burnt out on his old profession, helps a young woman find her lost love in a strange but familiar new world. I think the, the main theme about this is you know, going to be in respect to the heroine of our novel, um, a young woman named Janice, um, who has to come to terms with her true desires and the need to love and be loved. Let's see. Oh, and I want to preface, by the way, uh, to the three of you that uh, I'm willing to get weird and dark uh, <laughs> in this discussion. Um, those are two of, two of my favorite descriptions of uh, any story I might read. Excellent. So, let's see. The story takes place almost entirely in Los Angeles, where I live, and is based on characters who manipulate their reality through the practice of uh, magic. Um, however, much of the tale takes place through the action of trekking through the surrounding mountains and wilderness of the Los Angeles area. And uh, the time span of the events of the story is probably a week. That's what I have in my head. So uh, the story is essentially about two characters. Um, I already mentioned one. His name is uh, Fratensis. We call him Frenny for short. And he's an ancient devil, sort of on the level of, of an ageless immortal. Um, and then there's also Janice who is a human, who, and she's a quirky, kooky sort of type. A bit about Janice, uh, she's, a, she's recently married, and before the events of the tale, Janice believes she has an ideal partnership with her husband, Alex. She's a hard worker and a quick learner, but is shy and timid, and often afraid to stick her neck out. Now, a bit about Frenny the Devil. He was a once-professional devil. He was fired from his own, the only job he ever knew how to do nearly 2,000 years before the events of this tale, and has ever since struggled with coming to terms with his nature and the simple need to survive. Uh, by the way, a uh, friend was fired for protecting some humans that his boss had some pretty sinister designs for. And uh, as a devil, the main goal in his unending life is the pursuit of comfort, always comfort. If there's a couch, he's got to sit on it. If there's no table to sit his tea on, he'll probably just throw it on the floor if he's done with it. If he flies, it's always first class. And not because of luxury or status. He doesn't have a mind for that. It's just always about comfort. Devils usually achieve their needs through subterfuge by what they like to call whispering comforts from humans. And along the way, they get paid for their efforts by the devil himself, who's actually a very old and powerful brujo. Uh, but friends, friends' days of whispering comforts and getting paid for it are long over. Call him soft, but friend has been around long enough to actually like humans and can even see some of himself in them. Even still, Friend can't seem to completely disassociate himself from the old days because Friend has created many special objects that trick humans into giving over to the worst of their hidden nature, uh, much to the approval of Friend's formal boss. And by now, these objects are spread all over the world, cleverly providing Friend with a passive income and distinguishing him as one of the laziest, i.e. most comfortable and successful devils of all time. Um, the friend who entertains a hope of cutting his dependency on blood money can't possibly recover all of the objects. Uh, it's kind of like converting to Christianity and still receiving royalty checks on album sales from the death metal band you used to be in. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the tale begins in an eclectic and rural community in the hills just outside of Los Angeles proper. At the story's beginning, we find Janice waking up and realizing that she is alone and can't find her husband, Alex. 
His disappearance is disturbing enough that Janice sets out immediately in search of him on foot, reasoning that he is out on a nearby hike or something like that. Along the way, Janice has a run-in with an agent of an order of Central American brujos who warn her, who, and the agent warns her violently that he is in search of her husband. It turns out that this agent is a golem of sorts created by the brujos as a roaming killing machine who follows the signature of magic in order to destroy anyone who practices magic outside of the brujo order. At some point, we'll learn that this golem's purpose is to find one particular human who has become sufficiently power enough to scare the brujos, and I'll just tell you that human is not Janice's husband, Alex. Understandably, Janice is traumatized by the run-in with the golem, and she looks for help from a neighbor um, who she knows has become friendly with her husband, Alex, and this person is, is Friend, the devil. Uh, Friend does, in fact, know something about Alex's disappearance, but Alex isn't the only one who's disappeared. All over the community, people have been disappearing. In fact, by the end of the first day's events, nearly everyone in Los Angeles and beyond, say the whole entire world, has disappeared. Janice and Friend managed to avoid this phenomenon of disappearance, which I've decided to call the siphon, and find themselves almost completely alone in the sprawling metropolis. When all the power in the city finally goes out, a lone light can be seen blinking atop a distant mountain in the San Gabriels, which is the name of the surrounding mountain here. Uh, naturally, the two set out in search of the light source. Um, Alex, I mean, excuse me, Janice believes that Alex has not disappeared in the same manner as everyone else and is probably following, seeking out that same light, and that's part of their motivation to go after it as well. Now, here's what really happened. There's this hotshot billionaire named Tabitha Brandt who learned to harness the power of Brujo magic, which was originally thought to be exclusive to just Brujos. And through the siphon technique I mentioned earlier, has managed to teleport nearly all of humanity into space, effectively murdering everyone. The only ones left are magic users like Pretensis and the Brujos and psychotics that society has forgotten. And maybe a few others, since it's not exactly a perfect system. Um, Along the way, the light on the mountain, Janice and Frenny will learn about this, and by the end of their journey, come to believe that killing everyone in such a short amount of time is just too much of a psychic dump for the universe to handle, and the balancing effect built into magic causes the inadvertent creation of an analog Earth on the far side of Earth's orbit, where doubles of the murdered masses now find themselves. And I'm about to wrap this all up. Janice will find a rocket ship um, left by Brent that is programmed to fly to the analog Earth, she plans to steal it with the hopes of returning to some semblance of her former life, giving up the opportunity to live on the mostly empty paradise that Earth has become. Additionally, taking the rocket ship would thwart Brant's plan uh, to rule the analog planet after having successfully marooned all the brujos on the original Earth. And that's it. All right. Oh. Hmm. Uh, I think there's good food here. Well done, Josh. Yes. Good, good pitch. Good pitch. There's, there's definitely questions to be asked. There's, there's, there's gold to be mined. Uh, uh, real quick, Josh, what are you hoping to get out of this conversation, man? Okay. Um, a few things. So, uh, it, what I'd really like help from you guys with is, is it, is it reasonable to develop a story with, uh, what seems to me like so many unrelated antagonists? There's Tabitha Brandt, the genius billionaire, there's the golem agent of the brujos, and then there's just the brujo order itself. How do I get all those guys together? I'm really intrigued by the three of them, um, but I also don't want to stretch this too thin. I don't know if it needs okay. to be focused. Okay. Um, who, who's my point of view character? I love Friend the Devil. I think he's hilarious. I can tell. <laughs> but, then there's, but then there's Janice, who 
I love her too because she's cute and lost and and okay. her, and and how can I connect Janice's husband Alex to friend the devil? And then um, one and then oh here's the big question. I actually um, I, I'd really love your help with is uh, how can I explain this concept of the siphon? Like like so there's this magic where you can teleport people, and like, so I, I imagine Tabitha Brant <laughs> taking a rocket ship into like orbit. And then basically swapping herself one by one very quickly with every single human on Earth, just t- teleporting them all in space so they so can suffocate and die out in low Earth orbit. Um, and I, I just don't know if that's just too ridiculous or too hard to explain. We can uh, work with it. We, we, that, we've already, I guarantee you, every person at this table has already got ideas about that. We can okay. definitely play with that. Cool. Right. All right, awesome. Well, before we dive into this, we need to cover our ass. So, Ryan, would you be so kind? Yes, would I ever be so kind. All right, Josh, (laughs) you know how this goes. Anything we say here is just our ideas on your story, but the story itself is still yours. It's up to your discretion if you want to choose to harvest some of the ideas that we come out of from this proverbial mammoth's body, or if you want to discard a bunch of them (laughs) as useless blubber and fur. That is totally your call. This is still your story. Anything we say can and could be total bullshit. Do you understand? Awesome. Very cool. Well done, sir. Uh, Now, it is our custom to take a quick turn around the table and give first impressions and ask a few questions of clarification about anything in the story that doesn't quite jibe. Uh, And it is also our custom to defer to our guest host for for kicking us off along those those lines. So, Lauren, would you be so kind? uh, What was your first impressions of Josh's story idea and any questions you might have that need to fill in some gaps for you? Well, first off, I was disappointed that this isn't a story about sparky vampires. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We'll let that one go. We'll let that one go. Right. <laughs> I, I think it sounds intriguing. Um, you clearly have a very good sense of friend, and it seems like he should uh, definitely be your point of view character. I'm worried that you don't have such a good sense of Jan. Like, uh, Janice, what does she do for a living? You didn't mention it. Um, and being cute and lost is great, but... Is there more to her than that? Um, the siphon's a really interesting idea. Swapping out one by one sounds hectic um, and, and really labor-intensive. And if I was a powerful magician, I would get someone else to do that shit for me. Um, <laughs> I think the siphon is an interesting name, but being Los Angeles, the suck is even more obvious. <laughs> what the survivors would call it. I'm interested as to who survives. You said there's some stragglers. I'm very interested in that. Um, I'm not sure about the rocket ship, but everything else I think is, is awesome. And the, the teleporting in one by one into space and the rocket ship are the, are the two elements I think might be tricky to work in. But everything else sounds really entertaining. Awesome. Awesome. Any, any questions, Lauren, that, that didn't make sense that you want to explore a little bit before we dive in? Um, well, I'd like to know more about Janice um, and, and also, you know, who the other stragglers are and by what means people are... Um, you know, chosen for this kind of event. Um, also, I'm interested in uh, the devil. Maybe we should maybe we should do this one at a time. Let's start with Janice. Yeah, Josh, tell, tell us, us about, more Janice. about Janice. You know what? I, I I mean, in all honesty, I don't have a whole lot more to say about Janice. Yeah. Okay. Then then very feeling inside of me that I needed to include another character like her, um, sort of as a like a protagonist foil against friend. And, right. uh, you know, but, but I imagine her as, um, you, you know, 
maybe in her mid to late twenties, like a grad student, not not off on a career just yet, um, still figuring out things about the world. Um, so there's 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 room for us to play there. We can yeah. we can start infusing some 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 agency and and purpose and structure to her. Please, definitely. And also, you know, I think what's important is if you're setting someone up as a foil. Um, you know, friend friend seems like quite a big Lebowski kind of character. And it's always nice to torture your protagonist. So what would irritate him the most? You know, like what what would be the worst possible situation who he would be set up with and have to I, deal with and have to survive the end of the world with? I, I think I think it would be like leaving his home and trekking across the mountains. No, she's to totally him. gotta be a health and exercise nut. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, just yeah. going out and taking a walk is is you know already the the height of annoyance for somebody like himself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can work with that. We can work mm-hmm. with that. Um, what about Genesis or Janice? I'm already casting Lauren as the as the female protagonist here. Um, what about uh, uh, Lauren's other question about the the uh, leftovers, the stragglers that are out yeah. there? Do you have any plans for them, or are they just kind of background noise at this point? Well, so so there's the order of brujos, right? So um, be- because of their powers. It's really it was it's like no problem for them to just avoid this siphon. Like they can see it coming, they can feel it in the air. That's not a problem, as opposed to you know just the regular, uh, you know the rest of the masses who are unknowing of magic and brujos. So there's and and I, I really like the idea that it's, it's like not really a perfect system. So so really the few stragglers could be anyone. But I, what I thought was really exciting, especially as you wander through the empty wastes of of Los Angeles are all kind of like the forgotten people, the psychotics and the crazies and the homeless who, who uh, you know, just aren't thought about uh, regularly. So these are the kinds of people that you, you run into. But, but really, like, because I said uh, it doesn't work perfectly because there's just so many. And I thought, you know, like, you know, instead of every person getting up there, maybe like an occasional dog or tree or piece of furniture might get teleported yes. out. It's just to be weird. And, um, okay. okay. So yeah, so I, I, it it can leave really anybody who I think would uh, serve for compelling uh, plot twists and along the line along the way. Okay, okay. But that, you also have to have a good reason for it. Like she's not, you know, she's not able to latch onto certain minds or something because there's mental illness or maybe they're, you know, like the invisible people, as you said. Um, yeah. Well, or maybe maybe there's a maybe there's been a virus going around. Um, well, one of the things I had in mind was that, you know, part of how the siphon works is that uh, you're teleported and then it just moves on to the next person you might have been thinking of or, you know, or who's That's relevant. Nice. So, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that, like, you know, everybody's separated by probably no fewer than a billion degrees of separation. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And, and then what it does is it, is it singles out all these brujos, which I think Brant should have some sort of personal vendetta from. Maybe when she was a child, she was a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I know if Brian were here, he'd be asking about the antagonist, but we can get oh, to yeah. that. We I'm going to take that role for Okay, him. excellent. Ryan, let's go ahead and get your first impressions <laughs> and uh, your questions. Uh, firstly, I, I love that 
I love the idea. I like. The, I really am attracted to that idea of this kind of. Um, I'm going to call it the unique apocalypse. There seems to be this trend in a lot of, <laughs> of of writing and a lot of creativity right now to to represent the apocalypse. I'm even guilty of that myself. And uh, it's easy to fall into simple tropes like zombie apocalypse, nuclear bomb, power outage. At you know, insert apocalypse reason here. <laughs> uh, so I, I I like this idea. I like the way you're working that. I'm I'm not going to dwell too much on the why of how the siphon happens, but I do have a lot the of questions suck. here the suck the suck the yes. suck uh, what i what, one thing i'm going to ask real quick and then i'm going to get into the antagonist real quick as well is why does janice get excluded from the suck because i didn't really get a good reason for that yeah good point yeah well okay so so th- this okay so at the suck let's let's say it starts at the beginning of the day and it's going one by one per person mm-hmm. um so you know throughout the events of the first day you're noticing people are disappearing and mm-hmm. i suppose chance any one of those people could have been janice along the way but mm-hmm. because she's 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 lost her husband and she seeks help from fratensis who kind of has like sort of a sort of a, maybe a cursory sort of relationship with the brujos whatever magic he knows he's able to take her and basically sidestep the suck aha i'm glad you said that yeah that- that's a that's something I was thinking of as you were talking about this, and I think this is all going to start clicking together like the proverbial Lego blocks as we go here. Uh, Janice being excluded by random chance does not work for me at all. Yeah, so that that can't be it. Janice being excluded because, and I this was my thought again. Remember the disclaimer I gave you earlier that you're allowed to throw this right out the bloody window. But you're talking about this character Fran, who let's get this out of the way is your protagonist. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he is lazy and comfortable and comfort, comfort, comfort. That's his thing. But I love the idea of true nature having a knee-jerk reaction component to it. And you did say he likes humans and he can see some of himself in them. So what I picture is the suck happening and people going pop, 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 pop. And he's aware of this. It's not just random for him, but he knows something is going on because he has that sense. And in that moment when he realizes that that force field of suck is crossing over him he has that knee-jerk reaction to exclude forcibly janice from it and it passes her by and keeps going and now you have a reason why she didn't disappear and now you have a reason why the two of them would stick together because he just made himself accountable to her by protecting her from the suck that's got possibilities yeah and it it also deals with the last fact which is you're saying that it's whoever you were thinking of when you got popped out of there that could have been drained away i'm assuming you didn't say this explicitly but i'm assuming that's what happened to alex was he got sucked is that right uh well actually um i think in my mind alex is how um like like brant tabby brant you know the 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 main Mm -hmm. um, antagonist he has also figured out how to like start using this magic and and a part of like it's i i imagine basically alex sort of like abandoning his relationship with janice uh, because he's becoming more and more obsessed with this magic and mm-hmm. um he he has sidestepped the suck um not not just because he has the power but also because uh, he, he might have some like ridiculous idea about having anticipated what Tabby Brandt's doing and thinking he's actually going to stop her, even, you know, despite how powerful she is. That feels like a lot of coincidences to me, especially yep. if a friend happens to live next door. I think, you know, if you, want to, if you want to keep him as kind of a main player, but I think you've already got, like, a lot of strong players and you don't need him to do that. One of the reasons he might not have um, been thinking about Janice is because he's having an affair. 
So when the suck took him, he was actually thinking about someone else. If uh, the suck took him. Nice. Yeah, and nice. I, I, I would echo something to, along those lines. I'm not necessarily going to posit a theory on how to handle that because I, I like what Lauren's idea is. But um, I find that with a story like this, and one of your questions was how do you connect a lot of these pieces, one of the ways that you can help yourself connect those pieces is by start removing pieces. Um, if Alex doesn't have a very strong role in this, he, I actually got the sense as you were giving your pitch that he serves this story best as someone who is only mentioned and never seen. Um, because it doesn't sound to me like he's going to do anything other than be the catalyst that gets her out of bed and on that trail. But I think we're going to get to that later. Well, and and my question is, do we need Alex? I mean, he was mentioned at the beginning and then in the story pitch, Josh, he never came up again. And I'm I'm not sure if, uh, uh, he did come up with finding the light, spreading the light. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wanting to reconnect. Right. But that's not an absolute necessity. I, I, w- I would put out there, just put on the table the possibility that Janice is not married. And maybe, uh, 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 you know, she's, she's waiting for a friend to go to a Pilates session and her friend doesn't show up. And she notices the street is very quiet and she tries to call, but there's no answer. I mean, there's lots of different ways to realize that the, the suck has happened and get Janice out there. Um, I'm wondering, well, let me, let me give you my, my overview uh, uh, just real quick. Um, this is, this is delicious. I love this. Uh, uh, I love, I love magic being revealed in the world to someone who wasn't aware of it. Uh, uh, and the opportunity that presents to explore the nature of magic. The fact that you have devils indicates a wonderful, uh, uh, I hesitate to say the word Christian mythology, uh, uh, but an aspect of those, those darker and by implication, lighter forces that, that may be in play around the world as well. So that brings in wonderful mythologies. Plus the Brujo are, are fraught with that as well. Um, I'm going to agree with Lauren that, that with, for a fantasy novel to have her going off in a spaceship, uh, uh, it seems like a dimensional portal of some kind, a magical portal would be more appropriate uh, yeah. to get her to get yeah. her to this alternate Earth. Um, also easier to fly. Yes. Have you seen those dashboards? <laughs> Holy crap, exactly. You need a PhD just to sit down in the seat for crying out loud. And a team of like 40 people and one guy with a cool mohawk, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. And who, we're, we haven't mentioned that. We haven't even addressed that in the story yet. So just, just something to consider, Josh, that, that to have a science fiction element suddenly flare up in the middle of what up to this point has been a predominantly fantasy uh, environment uh, uh, is jarring. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, I put my thing out that maybe we don't need Alex. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, as, as Ryan suggested that, that Janice, uh, and Frenny are neighbors, maybe Janice, maybe she's a very frugal, uh, woman, uh, in addition to being a health nut and an exercise freak, um, and, and, uh, is, is living on the last remnants of a, a trust that aunt Betsy left her when she died, uh, which explains why she can live in this neighborhood. Uh, maybe the, oh no, the house was left to her. Uh, and she feels I've like got something even better. Go for it. Go, go. She's one of the invisibles. She's a homeless lady. And she can be a young, she can be a young, young homeless runaway. She's oh been living on the God. street. She's been living tough. She has been living the toughest that there is. She is the antithesis of comfort. Yes. And she's working this neighborhood because it's full of all the rich people. Uh, so they're and begging. Tr- and she's a bit of a scam artist. Yes. Yes. Which, which aligns nicely with Frenny. Cause I've got written down under Frenny con man. 
just your description, Josh, of, of him working these these little items that are giving him this residual revenue, this passive income. Uh, uh, I, I can see him just being one of those guys that that like like oh god, what's this uh, white collar uh, like Neil Caffrey, and is always working an angle to get more stuff. Uh, so I, I can see him totally gravitating to Janice, as you say, Lauren, because she's got that con woman mentality, uh, uh, and, and because, and it's also a power thing for him because he's got the stuff and Janice needs it. There's a wonderful devil feeding. She needs me. Ha 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 type of thing. What if also seeing himself in her? Yes, very much so because he's out, he's on the outs of his society, just as she is. That's wonderful. Wonderful antithesis and parallel at the same time. What do you think, Josh? I love it. I'm I'm overwhelmed. I think this is <laughs> now. Uh, you had mentioned when you were talking about the suck initially, uh, uh, and and I I might have misheard it, and if so, that's fine. But uh, it seemed like I heard that only non-magic using people were affected by the suck. Did that come out of your mouth at any given time? Uh, essentially, yes. But, but but that's not a hard and fast rule because. Uh, like I said, you know, there's the, there's the homeless and the crazies and the psychotics and I don't know. And well, maybe they're okay. Let me, let me, let me riff on this for just a second. Um, uh, the suck, uh, let's say that Tabitha Brandon, we will address her shortly, um, mm-hmm. uh, has been feeding into the world's water supply and food supply, a discrete element, an element that builds up in the body over years. Now, anybody with magic ability immediately dispels this element all too easily. Anybody without magical talent, it starts building up in their body until Tabitha unleashes some chain reaction that reacts with this mineral that is built up in people's bodies. uh, And then, poof, they're teleported into space and instantly killed. Which gives you a reason, you know, and, and I hate to go with the whole, it's midichlorians, um, uh, but there's, there's something you can hang your hat on in terms of who does and doesn't get taken. Uh, and the crazy people, you know, they've got, maybe they've got magic. Maybe the reason they're crazy is because they've got magic and they never had a brujo master, a brujo master or, or some other magical mentor to guide them through it. So they get, they expelled that same mineral, but they, everybody, basically everybody that's left on the earth has magic. Hmm. That's my thought. That's really you got, interesting. You got me thinking something too, just to posit a different angle and I'll be very quick about this. Yeah. Um, you can, you I think you can take a different approach with that as well. If you're still playing or riffing off the idea that these devils, uh, their currency is comfort. Maybe the people who don't get sucked aren't, people who have magic or not, but are the people who are living contrary to the effects of devils uh, vis-a-vis people who are not living comfortable. Um, or, or, so. or, ooh, ooh, or, <laughs> um, <laughs> or if, if anybody that Frenny has ever taken, you know, and, 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 you know, during his time when he was employed and, you know, he's probably done some side jobs along the way, anybody that he's touched, their soul is inherently magical as well. So yeah. half the people on the planet are the people that have been duped or, or in some way touched yeah. by devils. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because you okay. had said that Frenny had a lot of objects that were still out there in the world that were still giving him that blood currency. He's not the only one that's done this, obviously, unless he was the only devil. Oh, so yeah. if that's the case, also, you know, we right now sitting here in our nice comfortable chairs, I assume we're in comfortable chairs, are living that quote-unquote life of comfort vis-a-vis we are spending that currency. We are providing that currency. And we are now possibly victims of this. Whereas nice. people living on the street in our cardboard boxes most certainly are not. Yeah. That's yeah. really nice because it, it does one of the things 
which is one of my favorite things which speculative fiction does, which is touch on kind of real issues in a really interesting way. Um, and you can really play with, uh, you know, saying something about homelessness. Or, or not that you should be saying on a soapbox, but it's nice to play with kind of social issues. And it sounds like it's something you're interested in already. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, that's one thing that struck me about this story, Josh, is that there is an opportunity to, you know, in addition to being a cool fantasy romp, that there are hook points into real, important, tangible issues uh, that you can explore uh, and, and maybe not come up with an answer for, but at least shine a light on and reveal through the telling of the story. Yes. So, very cool. Um, there's, there's two things, guys, that are really kind of standing out for me. Um, one is that the story arc as presented uh, gives us the the inciting incident and a resolution of some kind, but the journey in between seems to be really missing. And the project, the progression of the story arc for Frenny and Janice uh, and anybody else they happen to meet along the way, there's there seems to be a void there. I'd like to look at that and maybe. Uh, uh, if we take a look at Tabitha Brandt, our, our lead antagonist, a little bit, that might uh, help define what that journey is. Lauren, do you have any any thoughts on on the antagonist of Tabitha Brandt and what we might do with her? Well, I'm interested in why she's doing this. I mean, if she's a billionaire, she clearly doesn't want for anything. That's a good question. So that's my favorite question. Yeah, <laughs> Josh, do why? you have any thoughts on that? Why Tabitha is doing this? Yeah, well, I think you start off with you know, I mean, she's going to have. I mean, just for doing it in the first place, it's clear she has psychopathic tendencies. Oh, um, yeah. And, and in my head, um, I, I, I thought there could be this, there's a, there's a story, um, a backstory with Tabby that just even the reason that she has access to the magic. So you have to be, A, smart, and then also, B, have been exposed to it in some way to, to, to harness it, like, out of, outside of the very rigid and dogmatic ways that the brujos do, who are raised... Who are you know, or who are raised from the cradle to learn how to do this? Okay, all right. And I was thinking, you know, because these brujos are so evil and horrible, you know, maybe maybe Tabby was when she was a, a, a young girl, a sex slave of the brujos, and escaped and came out and and had this privileged knowledge, um, t- turned it into um, a, a vast amount of wealth so that she could uh, pull off this um, this uh, big plan of revenge. Hmm. I don't know. I don't no. know. Not a big fan of the sex slave. <laughs> well, okay. Let's let's as let's, a motivator. You know, right. I mean, if you want if you want to have sex slaves, that's cool. But as a motivation for <laughs> a woman to get revenge, well, you know, I personally have my own harem. Um, <laughs> See, that, I, I left that out of the intro in the twenty yeah. minutes with damn. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> so, but as as motivation for a character, I think like rape or having been a sex slave is. It's so done, and it's not really like what motivates people. Yeah, um, yeah, I got to agree. I got to agree. I got a mental picture while you were giving that description. I, I, firstly, I love the fact that Lauren asked that question. Why? I think that is the most valuable question you can ask of any of your characters is why. And I, I am still a big fan of the why three times rule, which is ask yourself why, answer the question, then ask it again, and rinse and repeat until you've done it at least three times. Get down to the because heart that, of it. Yeah, yeah, because that's usually where you start boiling off all the water and start discovering the mineral minerals. So, with that said, one of the whys that I was struck with as you were giving that explanation is why. Why does Tabitha need to be a, you said she was a millionaire, right? Like she's very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, again, I'm, I'm struck with the question of why. Um, if we remove that, that science fiction element, that rocket ship from this, then there is no need for her, for her to be wealthy, right? 
Well, I, I I can see I can see the, the the statement that you know get all the stuff that you want be a billionaire it's still not going to give you happiness, and that she's trying to uh, this this life of acquisition and consumption. Uh, uh, oh my God! And I'm seeing right there she might be an ex devil, um, or oh. have, or have connections oh. to the devil in some way, shape, or form. Um, but and wants they, to overthrow the devil. Ooh, yeah. Set herself up and as harvesting as, all that blood currency herself. That's right. That's right. Which is which is cool. I I dig that vibe. I'm just I still don't see the the need for her to be financially like dollar bills wealthy because we've already established that you have another currency in this world, being that blood currency, right? Yeah, maybe she came to it late. You know, I, I personally, I like the vibe of that, you know, stuff does not make you happy, but sometimes it takes you a long time to realize that. And she could become this very jaded, you know, caustic individual, more stuff is going to make me happy and, and has, you know, killed and, and maimed her way to the top only to discover that, no, it's not that. What, what do I need? I need power or something. Yeah, and I, I can dig that too. I, I guess my concern is, is that I always have a little trepidation when we're approaching. I, I made the incorrect assumption, I think, that she was corporately wealthy. I always assume that when mm-hmm. someone says wealthy. that her as a Bernie Madoff type. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Whatever, whatever the case may be, yeah, I guess, I guess my concern was is that when someone describes them as a, a person who has no qualms about killing 90% of the population of the world and access to magic and all these things. And on the side, they have time and resources to, to, to build these empires. I always get a little nervous that you just built Superman, for lack of a better way to put it, someone who's, you know... Well, but that's good for an antagonist, having an unbeatable... Well, you know, look at McAfee. You know, you build, you build a giant mega software empire, mm-hmm. and you go nuts, and you move to Belize, and you start <laughs> playing with drugs, playing with magic, whatever it is. You know, and, yeah, that's fair. And that's you know, and that's that's an interesting take on it. Sure, and well, well played um, by looked- McAfee because I hate them. So well done. You just <laughs> 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 well, and if we go with the devil tie-in somehow, whether whether she's 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 another she's a peer of Fenny who was also uh, thrown out, maybe ejected, maybe thought dead uh, because her crime against the 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 order was even greater than Frenny's. Uh, uh, something along those lines and, and have a big reveal at the end. Oh my God, it's her. And maybe have Frenny throughout the whole thing saying, well, you know, there was this one, you know, there's this cautionary tale yeah. and, and throwing that out all the time. It's oh my God, it's you. And, and now suddenly there's the big reveal. Holy crap. This is an ancient, ancient devil, more ancient than Frenny, who has been showing off his power all along and we're all impressed. And now here's somebody even more powerful. That's wow. And I can see scary. that is scary. And that makes it for a, a very good antagonist because how the hell do you beat that? And also ties everything very beautifully together. It's not just some kind of random billionaire. It's actually, you know, the the story loops in on itself, and it it works very well structurally. And it answers your first question, of course, which is how to have so many unrelated antagonists. I think you start to relate them at that point when you do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I love it. My head head is spinning over all. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. All right. Um, So this journey. Uh, uh, you know, we, and, and, you know, there's obviously there's more to talk about with Tabitha Brandt and, and the end game and how we defeat such a, uh, an incredibly powerful person. Um, but does anybody have any thoughts on the journey that we're exploring? I mean, uh, uh, Josh, your, your, your thematic, uh, uh, elements, can you restate your theme that you were going for on this? Yeah. Um, it's Janice coming to terms with her true desires and the need to love and be loved. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. 
doesn't sound right anymore. <laughs> yeah, it really it doesn't. It sounds it sounds like uh, uh, it sounds like we're kind of exploring um, wealth and comfort uh, in relation to and and the real value of things. And now's a yeah, good time absolutely. to be revising and revisiting that, considering I think you came into this pitch with the expectation that you could force Janice to be your your protagonist, and I think we're all gonna pretty vehemently agree that she's not. Yeah. Yeah. So and, now's a good time to revisit that. And and yeah, here's another quick question, Josh. Uh, you, you've talked about the Brujo order. Are there other magical orders in the world? Mm, yeah, good question. Yeah, well, well my, my idea with, of the magic was, you know, it's, it's you know, like I, I didn't even want to use the word magic, say, within like actual, within the novel, because it's, it's, it's I mean, it's about manipulation of reality, right? And, right. And these, these Brujos have got turned on to that it's possible, but it's just like it's such a messy, and 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 it's so hard to control that. Just their order is because it's it's so rigid and controlled, you know, that they've been able to harness it in a way. I mean, because like for instance, if somebody who doesn't know what they're doing gives it a shot, like there's all kinds of bad side effects, like okay. uh, right. explosion. You know. Have you read uh, Josh any any Clive Barker? I have read some Clyde Barker, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of things like Imagica and Lord of Illusion, and in, in Barker's world, there is there are people that are aware of that magic subtext that seems to permeate existence, and some of them uh, tap it and and go insane or die or are consumed by thorny-headed people. Um, uh, others uh, uh, master it. Others group together or gather people to them uh, and create a cult or even a religion uh, peopled with devils and angels and so on. And I'm wondering if this journey from holy crap, everyone's been sucked and and of course the, the, the primary, well, the I'm not sure if it's primary, but the, 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 the obvious plot thread of what's happened, how did it happen, who did it, how do we stop them from, from going to the next level, or do we want to, do we care? Uh, because or how we, do we just save, us, save our own asses Yeah, ex- exactly. and then graduate from there to caring about how to stop them? Yes, exactly, exactly. Because, you know, maybe, Josh, in, in, in this effort of rebooting and the removing of all these mundanes, maybe some seals have been broken. Maybe that mundanity of, of the bulk, the vast majority of human existence, just the presence in the world keeps certain magical elements at bay. And by removing them, Tabitha has wittingly or unwittingly unlocked a few gates that is starting to turn the earth into hell or something akin to it, where these creatures come out. And now you've got this, this as, as Lauren said, this wonderful, uh, uh, got to survive, got to get on top of it. And, you know, if Janice survived and wasn't sucked, she's got a little magic too. So Frenny could be teaching her some of the, the magical arts along the way. And, and now you've got a, a, a world that is peopled by nothing but mages, many of them insane. Uh, things are starting to come out of the shadows that couldn't before because there was so much mundane in the world. And uh, uh, Tabitha is trying to get the hell out before the whole world is consumed into a massive roiling pile of magic chaos and anarchy. And don't forget, too, that by doing this, she just destroyed a lot of people's income. Hmm. The devils are pissed. Yeah, she mm-hmm. she just wiped out everything that they were working for. What I, is? How does the devil feel about this? Good question. Yeah, really. Does he does he play a part, Josh? 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, because of my, my original re- revenge scheme between um, Tabitha and the Brujos, you know, so, so once you've gotten rid of all the original, original humans, the only people left are the Brujos, and it's just, then it's up to Tabitha to just run around and and kill everyone. Well, wow. let, let me ask you, Josh, and you, you did, you gave, you gave a lot of attention to, to the fact that there is this Brujo order. Why, what is it about the Brujos that have captured your attention so much that you've put them as in such a primary position? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, well, I, I really like the idea of a world where there's magic, but we, we don't all know about it. Sure. Sure. So, so there's these, these, these this, the order of the Brujos, who have figured out how to harness it to to some degree, um, but but they're just so evil and consumed with 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 feuding amongst themselves that it it never gets out into the outside world. So I I, I saw that as a way to have magic in the world um, with, but but it wasn't affecting the normal the normal Joe. So you could have I mean the Brujos really are are an order of convenience. It could be anybody. Uh, uh, that is an organized magic order. There wasn't anything spiritually or, or culturally about the Brujos that you specifically wanted to infuse in the story. Well, I mean, um, I, I also I, I love the idea of, of of like Latin American sorcerers. I, I just haven't seen that much. Okay. Okay. And, yeah, that's really interesting. And for me, what's really interesting is always when people expand beyond the horizons. One of my pet hates is the scene in Independence Day where all these different nations have downed the alien spaceship and we cut to Africa, which is a whole, you know, Africa is a country and there are the Maasai warriors standing there with their spears <laughs> because it's not like we ever had nuclear weapons or helicopters or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So it's really nice to see someone playing with something outside the boundaries um, yes. and, and to be interested in, um, you know, South American culture and and magic systems for me the question is also how does that affect the rest of the world you know like the story takes place in in la and and the brujos are sounds mainly based in la um what's happening in minnesota what's happening in you know um melbourne what's happening in eritrea yeah well and 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 i thought about that too And, and there very well could be um other orders and other, uh, you know, out, out there in the world who have uh, figured it out. And, and, and I think that could really come into play once everyone disappeared. Um, because, because I wanted to keep, you know, not take it onto like such a broad global scale mm. as, you know, where all these characters travel. Uh, I just kept it specific to Los Angeles and, and what people in Southern California are exposed to. Which is great, but you need to figure out what's happened in the rest of the world, even if it never makes it into the book. You, you just oh. need to know, you know, has this, has this been a global event or has this been a Los Angeles event? Um, and obviously they're going to be pissed off people coming from other, other places. But, you know, that, that's a really good excuse to expand it into a trilogy. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And not, let's keep in mind, too, that from the description you've given, at least, this is not a quote-unquote rip the Band-Aid off quickly and bang, you've got yourself an apocalypse type event. You, you indicated yeah. that over, gradually over time people are vanishing off the face of the planet. So there would be some Which of that Which is really global- creepy. Yeah, and yeah. I like that. And I th- actually, I think the slower, without you know making it too long, but generally speaking, the quote unquote slower you make it, the worse it, or the the more apocalyptic it's going to feel. So this notion that oh, a couple people disappeared from Toronto, and then oh, sorry, I mentioned a Canadian city. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and and you know, pop, 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 and people are vanishing, and people are talking about it. 
you know, we're, we're, we're talking on the internet right now. And then as it's happening, those communication systems start to collapse until before too long, you end up at the story point. However you want to approach that, that's cool. The point is, is it really speaks strongly to what Lauren's talking about, which is that even if they never leave Los Angeles, there is a intrinsic need for you to understand what happens beyond the borders of Los Angeles. If this is going to be a slow burn apocalypse. Well, and, and I like that, actually, the notion of it happening over time, because what would happen ultimately once once probably like a quarter of the population has vanished, panic is going to set in and anarchy yeah. is going to reign on the world and think, you know, the, the strong ones are going to be fortressing up and, and the, the world powers are trying to figure out what's going on. And holy crap, you know, Josh, maybe somebody does figure out what's going on. Maybe, sci- you know, I don't want to blend science and magic, but, you know, as soon as there's a threshold of loss at which point people are going to be freaking out. Magicians are going to be trying to figure it out because they're going to be leveling their magic and understand what it means. Maybe a magician set up a a bubble where the magic won't work and the suck doesn't happen. Maybe in the middle of LA, I don't know. Um, And, and, uh, uh, but, but the anarchy, the chaos, the, the, the reactions to this, can set up all sorts of wonderful chaotic set pieces that mm-hmm. then you come in late with with Janice uh, uh, hooking up with a couple of grifter friends uh, in a side alley and they, they can you know you can have a little bit of disco- discourse about man we're 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 raking it in now that everybody's freaking out I've I just robbed a house of a guy that that disappeared blah 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 and then poof those two guys disappear and Janice is freaked out. And of course, they're right behind Frenny's uh, house, and she assumes he's not there, and he is. Blah blah blah. You carry on from there. I think, Josh. I mean, the thing is, um, how quickly do you see these events happening? You know, does this happen, take place over months or years? Or I mean, I got the impression it was kind of a couple of days. Yeah, one day was what I what I. One day, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. See, All right. I like that because then you know, like as soon as you get into, it becomes a really big and quite unmanageable. You know, it becomes kind of more of an epic if you do have to worry about the government reaction and, you know, how the crazy, rabid paramilitary group in Arkansas is responding and, you know. <laughs> That's a good so point. If, That's a good point. If it's really quick, then you don't have to deal with all that stuff, which is great. You still need to know what's happening in the rest of the world and how the rest of that's affected the rest of the world. But if it's one day, that's that's also quite interesting. I think you can have um, a middle ground too, though. You can have yeah. a place where it's fast enough that you know, that this will, of course, someone somewhere is going to read this and infer from this, that this is your way of saying government doesn't move fast enough. <laughs> um, you know, pop, 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 people are disappearing and the government literally cannot mobilize in time because there's just a matter of communication time. So, uh, you know, a day, two days, I mean, we're, we're living in a day and time where we are getting news bulletins about things that are happening across the world as they happen and they have no impact on our lives at all. So having that 24 hour to 48 hour or, or, or we could go with the biblical three days. Yeah. Just a yeah. thought. Biblical nice. Yeah. Seeing we're playing with that. And also, you know, it's interesting to see like Twitter reactions. And, you know, if you look at global events on Twitter, you know, how Hurricane Sandy was tweeted uh, from New York, but then how it just really wasn't covered on Twitter um, when it hit uh, with Cuba beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. You know, so was it Cuba? Oh, my God. Yeah, see, this is how bad world news is, you know, <laughs> informed by Twitter. Yeah. Um, if one of us so, is Cuban, so, we'd but, know. But, it, but, you know, like, but playing with Twitter as kind of a reaction and, and playing with kind of that as an element, even to, even to explain, um, you know, I'm a big fan of using other elements in the story. You don't just have to use straight narration. You could have a newspaper article or a tweet stream yes. or, you know, any, all kinds of things to kind of convey the information. I'm not saying you have to do, but it's, it can be fun to play with. 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Robert J. Sawyer did that in the Terminal Experiment, which is one of my favorite books by him, and I loved it. The whole book deals with a different concept, but in between every two or three chapters, there was just a little news article or a TV mm. show or a radio show that explained the effects of this global thing, but the entire story is very insular on two people. So to have right. these people, and then every once in a while, the author would zoom out, by the way, just so you know, you know what's going on. There's your world event, and then right back in. I love that. I think that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, that's yeah. very fun. Uh, one of the books I think handled kind of global scale devastation in a really interesting way was World War Z. Um, yes. You know, it really looked at how different countries and different cultures reacted, and yeah. that was very cool. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, exactly. And like you say, Lauren, this 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 could evolve, Josh, into you know a, a story of multiple perspectives. You could literally bring this book up to a point and then stop and go back and look at it from another point and then mm -hmm. another point and then in the fourth book have all those points converge and create an epic fourth book that actually ultimately resolves everything that could uh, be fun you poor bastard you guys are like setting him up for like world of war <laughs> <laughs> well what do you think josh no i i think these i mean i i i love all of this you know and and, and clearly when we're talking about some rapid extinction level event that, you know, you can turn this into so many more stories. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's something I always had in the back of my head, you know, but, you know, but of course I'm like, ah, I just need to get through this one first, see yeah. where this is going with these characters. But I know it, it's, it's ripe for so much. And that's part of, um, part of my excitement for the story in the first place is because it, yeah. it can, it can go in directions. Absolutely. absolutely. I think, you know, for this book, you, you absolutely should be concentrating on Franny and Janice and Tabitha. But you could definitely play beyond that because let's face it, you know, at the end of this, no matter how this plays out, the world's still fucked. Everyone's dead. That's right. You know, and, and Frenny and Janice are going to have to carry on. And, and what happens next? You know, there, there's definitely room to play after, after you wrap up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm assuming they're not going to magically be able to bring people back from the suck, having, you know, suffocated slowly to death in space, which is a really horrible way to die. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm That's, assuming they, they're not going to magically bring them back and everyone's going to come back to life and everything's going to go back to normal, that this is the new world order. Yeah. Well, one idea I was excited about that, that I mentioned um, in the pitch earlier was that, because, you know, I love this idea of just everybody being gone, and a part of it is because, like, I'm an outdoorsy, hiking type, and mm -hmm. I just fantasize about everybody just, you know, being off the planet Earth. And, and, <laughs> right. But... but but, but a part of me just like wasn't ready to just kill everyone, and mm -hmm. because the suck happened so quickly, and it was a part of uh, large scale psychic magic forces, um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of envisioned this idea where it was just too much, just too much of a psychic dump at once for the universe to handle, and there was a balancing effect where this this analog Earth. It was actually just created on the far end of of, um, of Earth's orbit, like on the other side of the sun. With everyone, with everyone in it, the population and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It doesn't have. Like I said, it's not a perfect system. So not, yeah. not maybe everybody makes it. Maybe you know, seventy five percent of the people who Dude, kill got them. teleported. Oh, yeah. Let them die. You pulled the pin <laughs> and you're holding the grenade, brother. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. You know, you have a pristine world on the other side of the sun uh, that the Tabitha can then populate as she sees fit. Right. Well, and I, I was thinking, well, there was that pristine world where 
where there's the people, but there's none of the devils, there's none of the brujos, and she can go easily rule that when she's the only magic user left. What you're saying makes me think that maybe Tabitha is an extreme environmentalist. Yeah. There was, you go. You know, maybe that's her motivation, is that she actually does want to get rid of, she's the hiker. She's the one who wants to get rid of, she realizes how, how completely screwed up the world is, and she realizes that we're going to have to lose 75% of the population, and she's found a way to do it. Using magic, and maybe it comes at terrible cost to her, and maybe she's a more sympathetic antagonist. Yeah, and that, that, that was actually um, one of my original ideas about it. I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. And, and you know, having, having the, your, your antagonist believe profoundly that she is actually helping uh, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. world in the long run is always a strong, strong impetus for a, for a compelling antagonist. That's excellent. I like that idea, if not for any other reason, then it takes away this notion that she's doing it to punish people and gives her mm -hmm. this notion that she's doing it to create that perfect world. I know a lot of authors who have those antagonists uh, that want to create that perfect world. Quite often, it, it comes across as a punishment of people. Um, and not so much a restoration of the, the true nature of Earth. So having that idea that she's an uh, extreme environmentalist and vis-a-vis -vis by wiping out 80% of the population, she also destroys our ability to maintain our technological infrastructure and you know plants grow and dogs start barking and rain isn't acid anymore. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, and I like I like the notion, you know, from a, just from a thematic standpoint, because you're absolutely right, Ryan. We, we 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 think about civilization and culture in a very broad sense, but simultaneously, you're right. I'm aware of those those people that want to punish the individuals that actually comprise that civilization and yeah. culture that we espouse so greatly. So, you know, Josh, from a thematic standpoint, exploring the the connection between that thing that Tabitha seems to be working towards, which is, you know, a, a reboot and a cleansing of society and culture, uh, but ignoring the fact that there are individuals that comprise it and she's wanting to punish those individuals. So that's that's got some some possibilities there as well, guys. I'm I'm looking at the time and we're already <laughs> over time, and and I, I apologize for that. But this conversation has been so awesome. I, I want to take one last trip around the table and and have each of us give Josh uh, uh, some last thoughts, some final words of wisdom, and something to send him off, uh, just itching for a pen or a keyboard to. I gotta write this thing now. Uh, uh, so Lauren, we'll start with you. Final final closing thoughts for Josh. Jeez, no pressure. Um, <laughs> You're a professional. You can handle it. You know, I think having been through this, you know, several times with several novels, is I send them out to people and I have my friends read them and I have trusted people read them and come back to me with feedback. The thing about feedback is that you take what you can use and you have to trust your gut. Um, if yeah. enough people are saying the same thing, they're probably right, but it's still up to you to make that call. So make the call and write the story that you really want to write. Uh, I think you've got some amazing, really exciting elements here. I think you just need to kind of work it out a little bit more. I do think tying in all the elements more tightly will be quite exciting. You know, if you if you bring in the devil, I want to know what he's doing. If you make Tabitha either a high-level devil herself or a crazy, you know, eco-environmentalist activist, that those are those are ideas which really excite me and things that I haven't seen before necessarily. Um, I'm going to recommend three books for you to read. Uh, the one is Sandman Slim by Richard Cadry. Um, which is uh, very much kind of a magic society set in Los Angeles, although it can be dangerous to read work that's too close to your own. Um, T.C. Boyle's The Tortilla Curtain is an amazing, very realistic novel about homeless people versus rich people living in New York, uh, sorry, living in Los Angeles. 
And it gives you really, really interesting insight into the Mexican homeless population and kind of big issues. So if that is an element you're interested in playing with, totally recommend that. Um, and then obviously, I, I think you've probably read Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and um, Terry go. Pratchett. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good one in terms of like dealing with devils and jobs and, and that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Excellent. Ryan, your closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm looking at the list of goals that you'd indicated when we started the episode, and I think that if you're willing to take a bit of a blunted hatchet to some of this, um, <laughs> you've resolved them all in the scope of this conversation. Um, so I'd, I'd encourage you firstly to, to reconsider those questions, those goals that you presented to us when we started this episode, and then think to yourself, did, did you feel comfortable with any of the resolutions that were presented to answer those questions? And I think that all boils down to me suggesting to you that you have a very large scope story here, which is my favorite kind, so applause sound effect here um <laughs> be brave with it and really remember keep reminding yourself why am i writing this why am i writing this and don't don't pull your punches i think that when you do that you're going to find that um this is going to be an awesome end product when you hit that end product and i and i say that because i think one of the the suggestions i would make to you is stop and look at the characters you gave to us and really ask yourself, do they need to be here? I'm looking at Alex and the Golem, who we didn't even talk about. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, do point. the two of them need to be there? Because I <laughs> am feeling the need or the, the, the desire to say they don't. Yeah. And also why the characters that remain, why are they doing what they're yeah. doing? Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you need to have that in mind all the time. Yep. Yep. Excellent. I like to use a soup building analogy when I'm doing that kind of thing. Say to yourself, here's all the ingredients. You dump them in the pot. A lot of it evaporates. A lot of it disappears. You add more to compensate. It disappears. Keep doing that. Keep saying to yourself, here I am. I'm, I've grown a little too big for my britches. Now I'm going to boil off some of those elements. What am I left with? I'm going to deglaze my story. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Good advice. Good advice. And, and for myself, Josh, um, uh, yes, this, we don't, we don't have conversations like this if there's not good food to dive yes. into. So you have a strong, strong foundation. Um, and for myself, it's it, that, that gap in the middle of the story between the, the inception and the conclusion, uh, that's, that, uh, I, I, I would urge you to to look at and along those lines um, I'm going to recommend a book uh, that I just started reading uh, My Story Can Beat Up Your Story by Jeffrey Schechter um, it's uh, a marvelous character driven perspective of storytelling and uh, focuses on the archetypal progressions one of the things it focuses on is the archetypal progressions of your protagonists and, and the character transformations that they undergo and often that having that kind of roadmap, whether you ascribe to it or not, gives you the opportunity to understand the events that need to occur to affect those transformations. And wiring that into the world that you've already created, uh, uh, I think, will, will help fill in what those middle elements need to be. Um, and also, I'll echo what Lauren had pointed out earlier, that uh, bringing in the South American uh, vibe is awesome, and exploring the possibility of, of a Japanese vibe, of, of a Middle Eastern vibe, of an African vibe, uh, and exploring the way magic manifests for those individuals, if we do indeed go with the fact that only magicians remain, whether it's latent or not, um, uh, provides a wonderful cultural context 
that can also inform a lot of the the elements that you introduce and the type of story that you're telling because the mythologies of each of those cultures tend to focus on a specific theme or, or process. So very, very, very cool. Yes. Oh, uh, Josh, dude, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I so, we, we all appreciate you bringing your mm-hmm. story to foster such an awesome discussion. Thank you, man. That's really cool. It, thank all of you, Dave, Brian, Lauren. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been an honor and a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I cannot wait. Yeah. To- <laughs> yeah neither can we dude and and here's the deal once you do that once you write this tale publish it up put it up there ebook big five uh, uh podcast that sucker however it gets out into the world once you do that come back to us let us know we will bring you back and we will knight you we will make you <laughs> a knight of the round table dudes trumpets swords the whole megillah we'll make it happen Okay, great. I promise. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, and Lauren, thank you so much. You, <laughs> you, you, you really do have a gift for, for the collaborative experience, and it has informed this discussion marvelously. Thank you so much for playing in our sandbox. That's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I'd do anything to avoid writing. Now I have to get back to my sex slaves. <laughs> yes, your sex slaves uh, to provide them with an impetus for their own story. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was really fun. It was. It was. And thank you. Ryan, dude, as always, love having you at my side as we go through these things. This has been great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. And friends, thank you for hitting that play button. As always, it is invaluable uh, uh, to have you knowing that you're there on the other end of the of the speaker listening to all of this awesomeness and hopefully gleaning a bunch of literary gold from it. If you're feeling the love, go ahead and demonstrate that by spreading the word, tweet about it, uh, put it up on your Facebook page, write a blog about it. Let us know. We will shout you back. Absolutely. We're on Twitter at writers podcast, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtable podcast. Drop us a review on iTunes. Continue the discussion in the comments section. So many of you have been awesome about throwing your own ideas and, and what twigged for you Mm -hmm. in the story, uh, in those comments sections and have really done an amazing job of continuing the the workshop after we stop hitting the record after we hit the stop button not stop hitting the record button because i'm not hitting it right now (laughs) it's still going so when we hit the stop button uh uh, the discussion can continue now i know we're all sitting here going wow that was awesome you know i'm sitting here lighting a cigarette and drinking a whiskey going wow uh but you know what this chapter may be closed, but the next chapter begins in just a couple of days. New awesome guest hosts, new courageous, creative and courageous, courageous guest writers bring in their story for discussion. Uh, the quest for literary gold is ongoing. Dear friends, I hope you will tune back in uh, and join us as we continue that quest. Until then, we got a couple of days to kill. Ryan? What do you think, man? Water bottles and pens? <laughs> you got it, man. I, I'm all about giving the simple advice that people sometimes tend to overlook, and that's why I'm always telling people, baby, stay hydrated. That's right. My water bottle is empty right now because I consumed it throughout this whole thing. Good advice. Brian, mm-hmm. uh, our, our co-host who will be rejoining us next episode. Yes. Uh, uh, well, actually, no, maybe he might not because this is happening out of sequence. But, oh, whatever. <laughs> Eventually, when he comes back, he would say, go right, and I will tell you, you find what you're looking for. So don't look for me. Don't look for, oh, I can't. Look for, yeah, baby, and you will find it, I promise. Uh, We'll see you in a couple of days. Until then, stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.